Welcome to another episode of South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy. I'm Steve Walsh. And today we're going to be compiling a South London 11, talking about uh, South London's best footballers over the years. That's right, all-time list. Uh, this is the first show we're recording post-Christmas, Steve. I did a spot of Christmas shopping in South London, Steve. Popped up to Lord Chip Lane, got my sister some uh, cordial from uh, Franklin's Farm Shop in Lord Ship Lane. Lovely. I've never been, but... Oh, it's a lovely shop. They've got all these, uh, you know, all these, you know, farm products, obviously. I bought her a bottle of uh, elderflower um, presse and some uh, cherry cordial. Franklin's so, one of those places on Twitter that people go nuts about, isn't it? Do they? Yeah, before Christmas, there's a lot of, like, you know, we're following a lot of South London-related people on Twitter to get the news and find out what's going on and a lot of chat. About Frankie's Royal Christmas. Because it's a restaurant as well, isn't it? Oh, is it? I think so, yeah. I think it's a restaurant and they've got like a shop attached. Yeah, they've got a really great range of stuff. My mum treated me and my sister to lunch at the uh, Blue Mountain Cafe on North Cross Road. Which is normally very nice, Steve. It is nice. They do a great fry-up. And it's a rare occasion where you can get a fry-up and it's an edible sausage that's mostly meat. (laughs) Um, So all round, really nice. But the jerk chicken was quite bland. You can't do bland jerk chicken. Can you? If you get one no, thing no, right about it? jerk chicken, it shouldn't be safe. It's not jerk at that point, is it? <laughs> it's just, yeah, some chicken. And my friend Joe assures me their rice and peas are pretty bland as well. But I, I traded it in for chips, for a tiny bowl of chips. So, Did you get anything good for Christmas? Yeah, I got some nice stuff. Um, when you're a kid, Christmas is about toys and you sort of despair if you get clothes, don't you? If you get a soft gift, yeah. it's like the end. You're like, I don't even want to know what's My parents like. would have bought me that anyway, you say. You're just sort of thinking, oh, it's a shirt or something. I've never been that worried about clothes. and like. But when you're an adult, you're sort of like, if this is clothes, it's something I don't have to buy for myself. Mm. You get quite practical about it. And like, I got um, toiletries. I got like a toiletry pack from uh, the parents of the kids I tutor. And it was... Uh, sort out that hygiene problem. Which is deodorant and uh, uh, shower gel. And I was like, that means I don't have to buy some deodorant and shower gel. Brilliant. Six or seven weeks out of that. Free, frees up some money to spend on other things, doesn't it? Fun things that aren't functional. Hayley at work made a good point before Christmas. She was talking about gifts that you can get and how people dread socks. But her point was, and it's a good point, if you get her a book, she might have read that book. You get her a DVD, she might have seen that film. She's never read a pair of socks. She's never worn those socks, has she? There's no socks you can buy her that she's already uh, worn. So, As a man with size 13 feet, I've been on the uh, <laughs> wrong end of sock gifts. One size fits all doesn't really apply. No, this is... I've got a scarf that's one size fits all, which uh, amused me. Yeah, I got a Dulwich Hamlet shirt. That was my only uh, South London related gift. Wearing it now, viewers, listeners. <laughs> Relevant, isn't it, to, yeah. the, uh, to the subject matter? Yeah, ties in directly to what we're going to be talking about today. On that note, Steve, I guess we should uh, crack on. I think we have to do an episode about football in a way just to get it out of our system. Because when we said we were doing a podcast, I think a lot of people were worried it was going to be something to do with football or sports. It's something that we've got in common and we talk about a lot. And I think people were worried that it was going to be the entire subject we were going to talk about and it would lose them. Whereas now, get out of our system, move on. It's almost quite apologetic, isn't it? The fact that we both support non-South London teams. We want to make amends. We want to recognise South London's contribution to football here because we're not doing it anywhere else, are we? No. I'm, my blog is you'll win nothing with yids.com, um, a Tottenham Hotspur blog. So I've been a Tottenham fan since I was a boy. And Steve? 
I before I supported West Ham, I support West Ham, but before I support West Ham, I did support Tottenham a bit, but not properly, and I was like less than five, so it doesn't really count. I remember having affectionate and the thing is I've always kept affectionate residual feelings for Tottenham. I'm not one of those West Ham fans who hate them. I feel we've spoke I feel we spent too much time on Tottenham already, Steve, as it's not in South London. Yeah. Dulwich Hamlet, that's the kind of mutual uh, ground we have. I used to go every week as a kid, home games and away games. My dad's a fan, writes the uh, Hamlet historian um, Dulwich fanzine. Designed the logo? Designed the club badge? Yeah, he redrew, well, he redrew the uh, right. club yeah. badge in the early 90s. Yeah. Hamlethistorian.blogspot.com. I suppose probably plug that now. Definitely it? get a shout out. Double the traffic. Yeah, um, we've had a couple of people call us out on the fact we don't support South London sides, uh, Ben Caldwell and my cousin Will, who pointed out the fact that, you know, Tottenham and West Ham got mentioned early on. And But I've, I've, I've declared it, and I think you'll agree with me, Dulwich Hamlet is the official football club of South London Hardcore. Well, as you say, Steve, I'm wearing a Dulwich Hamlet shirt as we speak, so you know, that's definitely legit. And I, uh, I've been to the Dulwich Hamlet a few times as a fan, uh, Nowhere near as much as Jack, and I wouldn't claim to know anything as much about the club as he does. But I used to play five aside up at the Edge Hamlet, so I not seven aside. It was seven aside. Yeah, you're absolutely right. See, that's how well Jack knows Edge <laughs> Hamlet. He knows my my relationship with Edge Hamlet better than I do. But um, yeah, so I used to visit uh, Champion Hill Stadium, Edgar Calway, quite quite uh, regularly, every week. More on Dulwich coming up, Steve. And can I just take this opportunity to? Uh... Confirm there will be more on Tottenham coming up. Yeah, we're <laughs> going to crack on with this up on the 11, but I don't want any of uh, anyone who's come here from uh, your enough of years to go, oh, you know, it's all about the Arsenal, with it, with the Arsenal, <laughs> switch it off. Now, there's a little bit coming up on uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, they get a mention. As to West Ham. Brief, brief, brief mention. Yeah, in, in passing. Starting from the back, in goal, we've got Peter Bonetti. It was a pretty easy choice in the end, on the basis that. I don't know any other goalkeepers that played at a professional level at Bourne in South London. I'm sure there were. There have to be, don't there? But yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't find anyone either. I but I mean, it's no. It's no shameful choice. No, this it? is the thing. Also, when you get to Peter Benet, you're like, right? Are we actually going to find someone? If there's anyone better than Peter Benet, it'd leap out, wouldn't it? Give me some Benetti stats, Steve. Peter Benetti uh, played only played seven times for England because he found his way blocked. By a succession of really good goalkeepers. There's no shame in that. It's one of those situations. Isn't He's it? probably most famous for the 1970 World Cup quarter final against Germany, isn't he? That was his defining moment as England player. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it, 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 thrown, it didn't go well. Thrown in at the last minute uh, because uh, was it food poisoning, Gordon Banks yeah, said? Yeah. Um, England were 2 0 up. Uh, Bobby Charlton was taken off and England went on to lose 3 2. Peter Bonetti did let in a ropey first goal. Yeah, went under his body and it didn't look good. But I think generally, if you ask people about that game, you know, Ramsey tried to be clever. And it makes sense at the time. You know, you can't really fault the decision. They're 2 0 up. It's looking good for England. He takes off Bobby Charlton to save him for the semi final. This releases Franz Beckenbauer, who starts to run the game and tears England apart and scores three goals. Bonetti's at fault for one. The third goal, we're blaming the centre half, aren't we? Yeah. It's what one was of them. Labone. Yeah. Is it Lebone? Lebone, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it is just terrible marking. It's just unbelievable, though, just to sort of see. You know, he's not. It's uh, Opsonesque, isn't it? <laughs> see, we're not mentioning West Ham unless we're mentioning West Ham players who make uh, the occasional. You know, so Peter Bonetti never a regular for England and didn't do particularly well. He did play, but at club level, a very different story. Uh, played seven hundred and twenty-nine games for Chelsea. 
which is incredible. That's, you know, goalkeepers famously have longer careers than outfield players and tend to get injured less than outfield players. So, do tend to have records like that, but it's still an amazing amount of games. And even more exceptional, the fact that he didn't just play for Chelsea. He, uh, his two periods at Chelsea were punctuated by a small period in America. Did you know this? Yeah, I read that on the one from Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. St. L- St. Louis Stars in, uh... And what year was that? Was that, um, NASL? Yeah, yeah. I am glad to have someone in this eleven who played in the, uh, North American Soccer League, though. It's nice. It's, it's another thing where we've both got a lot of affection for that particular league and time in football. It was exceptional, wasn't it? It was magical. Yeah, 1970s USA football. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. And it's everything about it. It's like, you know, obviously you had the obvious thing of Pele and George Best and Beckenbauer being over the got names. Yeah. But also, just everything about it, it is got that such an American thing of the names and the, the logos are wonderful. Names on the back of shirts. Yeah, I've yeah. I, I don't, as far as I can see, that seems to be the earliest, um, and that's a brilliant innovation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny, on Christmas Day, I was going over the 11 with my dad, just giving him uh, the team, and he questioned whether Peter Benetti was from South London, because obviously he played for Chelsea. And as a bizarre coincidence, for Christmas, someone had got him a Dulwich Amnet programme. I can't remember what year it was from, but it was the day they opened um, the floodlights. They unveiled the floodlights at Champion Hill. And it was against Chelsea, and Peter Bonetti was in goal. <laughs> and in the programme, it says Peter Bonetti, brackets Wandsworth. Left back, Steve. Kenny Sansom. It's another pretty straightforward choice, isn't it? Once you've got a chance to put someone like Kenny Sansom in your team, uh, you do it. Because... Unlike Peter Bonetti, England did for years. It's a, his England career is almost like the mirror image of, of Bonetti's. Bonetti never played because there was always better players ahead of him. Kenny Sansom always played, despite the fact there were other very good players around. They rest him occasionally, but most of the time he was the automatic choice at left back. At one point, he was fifth, I think, uh, with the most caps for England. Obviously, he's moved down to he's the 11th now after you know the emergence of... Uh... Some other, you know, your Frank Lampards and stuff. David Beckham. Exactly, yeah. But, um, yeah, so he played... How many times did he play for England? He got 86 caps in the end. And where's he from? From Camberwell. Same as me, which is nice. Personal. And I remember as a kid, and I, I've done some investigation on this, even before we were talking about doing this, because it's always fascinating me. There's a Sansom Street in Camberwell. And it's got to be, isn't it? It can't just be coincidence that there's a street, but I can't find any sort of provenance for it being named after Kenny Sansom. Moving to right back, uh, we've got two candidates. One who I think we're burdened to put in, and the other who in the long term I think will take his place. So the player who doesn't make the cut is Manchester United's Chris Smalling. Yeah, and the fact he's playing for Manchester United shows that it's quite significant that we've dropped him. But, yeah, he's a very good player, isn't he? Yeah, he's wonderful, yeah. He's not... I mean, the argument would, would be, I guess, he is, a, by specialism, he's a centre-half who plays yeah. right-back. But he has played for England. Well right-back. I think he's played for England at centre-back. Uh, right-back, has he not? I think I thought he's just Or maybe he's just been so in the squad. Just, yeah, just, but for United, he's looked very good at right-back, considering it's not his specialist position. Born in Greenwich, as is. Yeah, our choice. Uh, toilet seat thief, Glenn Johnson. <laughs> so you can't call him our choice, as if, and then add that as if that's why we're choosing him. He's definitely starting the toilet seat. He's, he's, he's a specialist right back. Yeah. Um, I would say he typifies uh, the overpriced English player, doesn't he? £17.5 million. Pounds. Incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's ridiculous. He was the first purchase 
uh, under the Abramovich regime at Chelsea as well. As well as, oh, as well as that. Yeah, so he, he, yeah, he does tend to be, he tends to be a statement buyer. It's odd, isn't it? You just sort of think, if you're a club and you want to make a statement about where you're going, getting Glenn Johnson. Doesn't doesn't really work, does it? You don't imagine him being that guy. Well, I don't want to jump ahead, Steve, but I thought Sean Rat Phillips was your statement. Uh, He's another one, isn't he? Yeah. Also born in Greenwich. Yeah. So if you want to make a statement about yourself as a club, just find anyone from Greenwich. Because, I mean, Smalling as well. His move uh, to Manchester United, I know I sort of vaguely knew this, but it only really occurred to me doing the research for this. When he moved to Man United, he only played 13 games for Fulham. Was it? I thought it was less than that. Yeah, well, even that. Because he was about to, uh, they announced the news, I think it was the day Tottenham were playing Fulham, and um, it was completely out of the blue, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it looks like a bargain now, doesn't it? I think yeah. it was about £7 million pounds or whatever it was. To address the toilet seat situation, Steve. Because you can't really just say that, can you? It's an odd thing to sort of throw in there. We know the story and a lot of football fans, but a lot of, you know, listeners who are and casual football fans. There will be fans. some people who protest that he didn't steal a toilet seat. What happened was him and Ben May, who was a Millwall player at the time, they were in the uh, B&Q in Dartford and they were buying, I don't know, they were, went shopping together to buy a toilet? A whole toilet? A, a, a bathroom. It was a bathroom set. It was a bathroom set. And as far as I understand, and I'm more than happy to be correct, so I'm not trying to put the camera on pigeons, Ben May felt indignant that he was buying a bathroom and not getting the toilet seat included. Oh, well, okay. I thought they swapped the price on two different toilet seats. So there was one that was like gold plated and velvet lined or something. I think, I think he felt indignant that he's having to pay for the toilet seat generally. So his thing was, well, I'm not paying the full whack for this toilet seat. So he basically put in the best toilet seat he could get but put the, to- the the price tag for the cheapest toilet seat you could get on the toilet seat. So he, he wasn't getting a free toilet seat, but he was sticking it to the man. Because, you know, that's a viable form of protest. If I was going shopping with Glenn Johnson, I'd be indignant about paying for anything. <laughs> Another controversy he got himself involved in. Um, I don't know exactly what Paul Merson said about Glenn Johnson, but knowing it- Paul Merson's style of punditry, he yeah. probably said he was rubbish. <laughs> uh, and... Glenn Johnson responded by saying, I don't take comments from alcoholic drug abusers. Um, and and he also said Paul Merson was average at best. Yeah. Which obviously isn't true. Paul Merson was great. Yeah, Paul Merson was very good at football. The other stuff, not really relevant to the debate. And also... Like, I don't know about that. I mean, sometimes you watch uh, Sky Sports News and Paul Merson appears to be intoxicated. Yeah, but... So I think that would be relevant. I think Paul Merson's uh, substance abuse problems are relevant to his public if, if he's definitely intoxicated by his making statements, then by his route. But don't just bring it up as part of his history to sort of uh, diss the guy. Lashed out, didn't he? On lash. <laughs> <laughs> now we're laughing at killers. Let's no one laugh at In the middle of defence, we've got the most expensive South London player of all time, Rio Ferdinand. Quite good. As well. Yeah, I can't really speak highly enough of Rio Ferdinand. I think he's such a great footballer. Underrated. I'm, I'm biased due to my West Ham links. You know my feeling on the England team. I support the England team when Rio Ferdinand is captain. When John Terry is captain, I do not support the England team. I think it's a really easy system, isn't it? To, to clarify, Steve, that's because you consider yourself Irish, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, Partly. I, 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 myself Irish and not a big fan of John Terry much prefer uh, Rio you look at uh, the 2002 World Cup 2006 World Cup Rio Ferdinand's our best player in both tournaments and people just they don't like him do they 
No. The neutral. They want uh, Jamie Carragher in there, don't they? Yeah, yeah. They, they but there's want. people who think they think John Terry's a better player. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? He's he's just all round. There's not a weakness in his game. He's such a brilliant footballer. I've almost wanted to just start a podcast where I talk about Rio Ferdinand, <laughs> but because he, you know, because he might be, you know, doing karaoke with Kano on YouTube, <laughs> people don't like him, do they? He did also have a scholarship to a ballet school. Did he? Yeah. He actually think... went to uh, Blackheath Bluecoats, played football with a couple of my pals, Ben and Mark. They used to twist my up, apparently, didn't they? Know. <laughs> They're about three or four years younger and not professional footballers, that's unlikely. I think there's one question mark over Rio Ferdinand as a person, if nothing else. The drugs uh, ban. No, not even that, because, you know, that's not an mistake. It's not necessarily something he's pondered over and considered and then signed contrary to as we know, if we read any instalment ever of Said and Done in the Observer on Sundays, Rio Ferdinand at one point financed the feature film that featured violence, didn't he? Yeah, it's just unbelievable the fact they keep going on and on and on about it. Every time Rio Ferdinand says anything, they go, well, he did fund uh, some gangster film. And it's interesting that... So hypocritical. But it's also it's interesting, any time Rio Ferdinand says anything about knife crime or gun crime in South London, as in, I don't want there to be any knife crime, they say, well, they might have made this film. As if that film directly Why were you involved in a fictional piece of work (laughs) that involved guns? Do they not review things about guns and stuff? They they never mention guns at all in The Observer. And it's just bizarre that they they, they keep harping on about it as if, you know, it's still significant. It was was in their quotes of the year. Michael Owen called (laughs) um, someone a peasant on Twitter. Doesn't get a mention. No, it's fine, isn't it? Rio's brother Anton also eligible to play. He's not going to do, is he? No, he's not quite as good as he. No, I mean again, same as Rio. You know, born in Peckham, played for West Ham. So on that basis, they both have a place in my heart. But in my head, Rio <laughs> Ferdinand is much better at football, isn't he? And uh, but Anton Ferdinand, he did score what is one of the all-time greatest Premier League oh, goals. Wonderful, isn't it? I mean, it was. It's a little bit of a fluke, and he gets the ball, catches the <laughs> no, ball on his week. chest. Turns and volleys it in from outside the area against um, Fulham. And it's one of the all-time great Premier League goals. It just never gets a mention, though. But can we put a link, Steve, in the blog? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Interesting, well, I think, related to Anton Ferdinand. And I want to mention this. Um, When we said we were doing South London 11, I was talking to my cousin Will on Twitter. And he, like, straight away banged out about ten names. Most of which we had, but some we didn't, and some some particularly good ones. Um, Anton and Rio were among those. So basically, he listed all the names, uh, and then to try and help, he he messaged Anton Ferdinand on Twitter to see if he had any suggestions. My cousin doesn't know Anton Ferdinand, <laughs> but just thought I'd like to help. Super and, helpful. But it's also interesting that of the Ferdinand brothers, he's sort of looked at Anton and gone, "He's not busy enough. There's nowhere that guy's not busy yeah. enough." You know, Rio Ferdinand's got his magazine on the go. He's Rio Thirty Five. Yeah, he's financing uh, you know incredibly violent films that are directly causing crimes all over the place. We know that from said and done. Anton Ferdinand, nothing better to do than do research for our podcast. My cousin thought, but um, no, Will did uh, do a lot of good work on our behalf. The player that takes his place, Steve, is um, the only player in the eleven who doesn't have any international caps. It's Keith Stevens, aka Rhino, played for Millwall for nineteen years, managed them for a couple more. 426 appearances. He's second in their all-time list after Barry Kitchener. Yeah. Um, in terms of ability level, I don't I don't want to patronise him, but obviously he is the weakest player in the team. But it was important to represent Millwall, I think. Also, us choosing Keith Stevens is another tribute to Rio Ferdinand, isn't it? Where, basically, 
Rhino's there. If anyone, you know, he's 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 getting a lot of blocks in, he's getting a lot of tackles in. But basically, Rio's bringing the ball out, Rio's covering around the back. They they would be a reasonable partnership, I think. Yeah, well, having played uh, so many times with John Terry, I mean, Rio Ferdinand <laughs> knows how to uh, play with a centre-half who's basically a wild animal. But I would argue that across his career, Stevens probably ended up on his arse fewer times than John Terry, looking forlornly as a much better player around past the Wolverhampton squad. And to give him uh, to give him his props, he was part of the Millwall team that was uh, top of the first division in as late as October, Steve. Yeah. In, uh, 88-89. I remember that team and it was uh, it was incredible at the time, wasn't it? Terry Horlock. I don't know, I was too young to remember. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Four, right. four years old when I five <laughs> years old. A couple of other defenders that didn't make it into the 11. Um, Liam Ridgewell, born in Bexley Heath, but has only played professionally for Aston Villa and Birmingham. So it's odd that from South London, but no sort of London connections football-wise whatsoever. Also, no international caps. Also, not brilliant, he's not that he? good. No, he? he's not. He's nowhere near our eleven. But just nice to nice to give a mention. Les Strong of Fulham, born in Streatham, a player whose name didn't ring a bell for me at all. Played three hundred and seventy-two times for Fulham. You, when I mentioned him, you'd heard of the name, hadn't you? Well, I'd come across him on Wikipedia. Right. Oh, doing research for this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You see, this is one name. Once you get Kenny Santon, though, you stop looking for left backs. <laughs> yeah, you, you, the job's at that point. But this is another one that uh, uh, Will threw over to me, but. He's a Fulham fan, so I'm sure Les Strong's uh, on his radar a bit more. Big name up there, I bet. <laughs> Moving into the midfield, we'll start with a player that isn't in the eleven. Steve. Nigel Quasi from the Aylesbury Estate uh, in Woolworth. I saw him jogging once, and it seemed like quite a big moment at the time, even though he was only playing for QPR. I thought you meant just him jogging generally. He had like a really good form and technique, and you were like, it's fucking <laughs> Oh, it's Nigel Quasi. He's probably had lessons. One of the midfielders didn't make it. Graham Stewart, born in Tooting. Played for Everton, probably, for most of his career, didn't he? That's, yeah, big name at Everton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, not outstanding. Not Well, in the, central, in the centre of midfield, Steve, we've got Scott Parker, the mighty Scott Parker. Yeah. I mean, this is the point. I think, alongside Rio Ferdinand, this is another point where me and you are going to agree heavily on how brilliant Scott Parker is. Yeah, he's coming to the Tottenham midfield this season. And it didn't really look like we needed him. But he's just been fantastic. He's wonderful, isn't he? He's the leader that we need in the middle of the park. Yeah. And in this something like first 15 games for Tottenham, he was only behind for 10 minutes. He's, you know, he's player of the year last year when he football writers player of the year. Yeah. Which is a lot more reliable than the players player of the year. West Ham player of the year for the last three seasons. Yeah, hammer of the year. Yeah. He's been our player of the month as well, um... He was he was the Premier League player of the month in November. He's just such a great player and he's he's a leader. My, the moment I realised I was in love with Scott Parker and was never going to not love Scott Parker was he was playing for West Ham and it was um, it was a meaningless game. Uh, it was nothing sort of particularly important about it. And the ball bounced on the halfway line and it was just like a nothing moment in the game. And it bounced the sort of shoulder uh, sort of weight, between waist and shoulder height around the torso and he sort of lent in with his head to head it clear and just dodged this guy's boot by about an inch but didn't even and it was, I was like why is he putting his head in there he doesn't need to but he does need to because he's got Parker and he can't help it and it's interesting because I think of him as a very uh, combative strong tough player but he's also incredibly skillful isn't he that's where he made his name you know obviously 
the McDonald's advert. Yeah, I was going to say. That's what he's, he was best known for originally, wasn't it? The fact that he was a, a very skillful young player. Went to school at the end of this road, Haberdasher asks, where Sean Wright Phillips, our right winger, also went. Yeah, our midfield isn't drawn exclusively from Haberdasher. We tried, didn't we? We yeah. tried to get an entire Haberdasher Well, you put Bradley Wright Phillips in as well. Suddenly, we just play a three-man midfield. We can do it. We're not going to do that. We're not going to sacrifice a team to get Bradley Wright Phillips in. (laughs) Yeah, Sean Wright Phillips, the other statement player, isn't he? The statement signing. You you spend a lot of money on Sean Wright Phillips to show that you're an emergent force in English football. You then, if you get any good, you replace him. Yeah, you definitely buy a better footballer at that point, and you sell him for a huge loss. That's the rule about Sean Wright Phillips. But you know, on his day, a cracking player, isn't he? Yeah, he can be. He does some great stuff. Yeah, had some and had some runs of form where he has has to play for England. He has to. Yeah, but and then other times he's just a bit of a headless chicken, isn't he? Yeah, like you know, Kieran Richardson, also from yeah, I think he's from Newcross as well. He's from close by anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I find those players just like when they look good, they look brilliant, don't they? Yeah, or and when they don't, it looks like the a twelve-year-old's controlling them on FIFA, as Gary (laughs) Neville might say. Our other central midfielder is Laurie Sanchez. Um, that scored the winning goal in the 1988 FA Cup final, which is probably the most famous FA Cup upset of all time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the crazy gang, Wimbledon, who rose from non-league to the top flight, and not only that, won the FA Cup. They finished in the top six. But also, in the FA Cup final, beat Liverpool yeah. in the 80s. I mean, that's huge. And this is a Liverpool team that are winning, or, you know, Liverpool squad and team at the time, that are winning league titles, European Cups, just dominating English football. I mean, in the 80s, Liverpool were the sort of, the, the Chelsea of now, in it? Where all of a sudden people are supporting them. Kids who, you know, don't really know anything, are just sort of going, yeah, definitely support. Now, you know, people support Liverpool because they did when they were kids, and they feel obliged. Yeah, you can, you can often tell someone's age yeah. when they say they support Liverpool. You go, oh, he's obviously... Uh, in his 30s, isn't he? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Wimbledon, a great loss to South London, really. Um, shamefully, the FA allowed them to be moved up to Milton Keynes and the uh, zombie football club that exists up there. I mean... I'm one of those people looking forward to it eventually going out of business. I'm looking forward to the point when AFC Wimbledon, that was formed from the ashes of Wimbledon Football Club, overtake them in a league. And it's going to happen, isn't it? I hope so, man. That'd be wonderful, isn't it? And ideally, that's on the way to Milton Keynes Dons, just falling away to nothing. I will say, though, Steve, having watched Stoke in the last couple of years, with a, who go out with an agenda to cheat, you know, they go out there to shirt Paul. You know, they do, they push, you know, they, some of the stuff, it ain't, some of it isn't cheating, but you know, the kind of, the long throws and that. Is... Well, they also, they control towel usage, which yeah. should never, the fact that they're, they're, they're inventing new ways to cheat. Well, they've got, got, we'll got a towel a... and you can't have a towel. That, when did that become a thing? Yeah, the guy's got Amazing. a towel sewn into his shirt as yeah. well. It seems a lot less romantic. If it was just horrible <laughs> anti-football that Wimbledon were playing, maybe I shouldn't feel so sad about their loss. No, I do, I should, I do. I do feel bad that they've gone, but I don't know. Maybe it wasn't quite as romantic as uh, it's painted. When when um, I was reading... Vinnie Jones, you know. Yeah, yeah. But read, reading about the Wimbledon team in 88, um, I read an article and they said, um, yeah, the Wimbledon team hadn't won a lot, uh, apart from Laurie Cunningham, who'd won 
uh, trophies in Spain with Real Madrid. And I was like, okay, well, they're not all underdogs, are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've got one bloke who used to play for Real Madrid and he's got a few trophies. You know, let's not paint a picture of them being complete amateurs who just turn up on the, on the day. They, you know, he's, he's played football for him. Laurie Sanchez, the only player in our 11 to have played international football, not for England. Played for Northern Ireland. Only three caps. I always think of him as being much more involved in all that stuff, but that's probably because he managed them for a long time He did as well. a brilliant job as a manager, didn't he? Yeah, it's incredible, wasn't it? But Spain, in the qualification for Euro 2008, at the time it seemed like a big deal, but knowing what we know now, that Spain would then go on to win that tournament and the World Cup and be by far the most impressive team in the world for some years. Well, also, and again, you know, the mirror image of Spain before that, do you remember that time when Northern Ireland just couldn't score a goal? When he took over... They hadn't scored for near, nearly 1,300 minutes. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty uh, outstanding. They were. It was just known, weren't it? Northern Ireland are playing. They're not going to score. They're definitely not going to do that. Let alone win games or do anything in a qualification uh, system. Incredible. Also eligible to play for Ecuador, for his Ecuadorian father. Apparently, the Ecuadorian FA made inquiries and he was concerned about the length of travel. So... He's decided Northern Ireland, just over there. Isn't much it? closer. Yeah, go there. Easier. On the other wing, Trevor Sinclair. Ex-West Ham. Oh, uh, and like Antoine Ferdinand, ex-West Ham, scorer of one of those goals you go, he scored that goal, didn't he? Yeah, you know it's a wonderful overhead kick, isn't it? I still think of it as the greatest goal I've ever seen. Because it's a bicycle kick on the move from outside the area. Yeah. That's, and you know what I mean? It's like, what, he scores from outside the area? What, he scored a bicycle kick? What, he scored while he was on the move? And all those things are elements that you would put into it. It's incredible. And this, you know, it's one of those things where with Anton's, it was a bit of a fluke. His goal is pure technique. My mate Stuart has a theory that to be considered a great player, you have to be able to score overhead kicks. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's not the entire e, but I think Does he consider strong... uh, Trevor Sinclair to be the greatest player of all time? He doesn't. He would. He's a, he's a Liverpool fan. Um, in his 30s. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally. But, um, yeah, my thing is, uh, Rooney scored that goal with Shin quite recently. Yeah, overrated, kick. yeah. Yeah, and people went... Not on... Rooney, the goal. Yeah, the, the goal. People, you know, you had, like, Definitely journalists... not goal of the season. But you had journalists who were going... You'll never see another guy like that again. And I was like, yeah, you know, you'll see one where he struck it with his foot rather than his shin. Uh, he's on the move and he's outside the area. People are losing it over that goal. I was like, have you forgotten about Trevor Sinclair's goal, which is five times, ten times? Yeah, they over-contextualise it as well, I think. It was in the Manchester derby. It was the winning goal. Yeah. And Wayne Rooney had been a douchebag at the beginning of the season, flirting with moving to Man City. But and hadn't scored for a while, am I right? No, yeah, exactly. He'd been yeah. pretty useless, hadn't he? So you can contextualise it and go, right, it's an important goal for other reasons. But in terms of the quality of the goal, incomparable for me. I was like, when I saw the Rooney goal, and it's possibly that thing where, living in the social media age now, you hear about things on Twitter and Facebook and they're hyped, and you go, oh, it's that. But speaking of um, South London overhead kicks, wasn't it Liam Ridgewell who scored that over a kick where he's almost vertical? Yeah. Which is one actually. of my favourite over kicks, overhead kicks of all time. So we're, what we're doing, dropping Sansom and putting in Ridgewell. <laughs> <laughs> Drop Ferdinand. <laughs> Trevor Sinclair born in Dulwich as well. So another nice uh, local link. Like myself, Steve. Yeah. Played four times for England at the 2002 World Cup in what is a painfully workmanlike 11. Yeah. Danny Mills. Yeah. And da- he, David Beckham playing with a broken foot. His England career was never... You know, it's one of those no, he's things. a decent player in it, but yeah, I mean, if you've got Trevor Sinclair playing on your left winger, which we have and which England did, you're obvi- that's obviously solving a problem position, isn't it? 
Yeah, it was a time when England had, in inverted commas, the left-sided problem. Yeah, uh, two England games I went to around the period, around the uh, le- um, problem left-side period. Jason Wilcox played in one. Yeah, Steve Guppy played in another on the yeah. left. So, wrapping up midfielder Steve before we move on to the forwards, John Bostock, who obviously doesn't merit uh, a place in the team. Um, but it's another Tottenham link, yeah. Just to keep people, uh, my Tottenham listeners, uh, <laughs> tuned in. And he went to the school that I went to as well, London Autocall. Played for Crystal Palace. Um, went to Tottenham. And when, at one point, when he was a youngster, um, someone in an interview, someone asked him what he wanted to achieve, and he said he wanted to be the greatest player in the world. Which I, which I thought was great. I'd, I'd love yeah, someone yeah. to have that kind of uh, ambition yeah. rather than I'd, I'd like to play. Let's play league football, you know, <laughs> if he's aiming for the stars. But yeah, played um, over uh, my mate Mark, that I mentioned earlier, who played with Rio Ferdinand, also played with John Bostock at Kenton Park. Or maybe didn't play, but John Bostock used to turn up yeah. and watch from the sidelines as like a 16-year-old. Talking of midfielders who randomly turn up, um, I play five-side football in Elmer's End. Not seven-a-side. Not seven-a-side, five-a-side. We've, we've changed, changed the game. And... Um, I popped down, it's a few months ago now, I popped down, I was a bit late, and my mates were all down already. Now, watching a game that was, was on before, and I figured it was another team in our league, just watching to see how the game's going, and uh, someone said, uh, yeah, Wayne Routledge is out there playing. And I thought, well, it's Wednesday night, it's nine o'clock, we're in Elmer's End, Wayne Routledge definitely isn't playing five-side football. Is either a Newcastle or a QPR player at that point and he was at Newcastle at that point but he's from Sidcup so you know he has got Southland links but that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be playing and then I looked down to the pitch and I was like yeah no I uh, recognise that peanut well, I, I thought, head, it said. looks like Wayne Routledge it looks like and I thought you know these guys have seen someone looks like Wayne Routledge and thought it's Wayne Routledge and there were no people talking beforehand he knows some of them and it's definitely Wayne Routledge and I thought well it's, it's definitely not is it he's a professional footballer he's definitely not playing five side football on the same night that I am that's ridiculous um, then I watched him for about three minutes and it was definitely Wayne Routledge because no final ball <laughs> well this is the thing it's one of those ones where you know you mentioned Adi Akinbae earlier you do get players talked about and it's this whole thing when we talk about with uh, Walcott earlier and other players who don't you know have Sean Wright Phillips where they're not always brilliant and when they're not brilliant they're terrible there's no middle ground no one makes a single say they're just awful they're useless and these these phrases get banded around by um, fans and then you see a professional footballer up against people who aren't professional footballers and, that, and you know the flip side of that is down at five sides you get someone who's quite good or better than other people on the pitch and they're, they're strutting around like they're Maradona or Cantona and you're like you're playing in the same game as me you're not that good at football but they don't accept that. They, they strut around. And then you see a professional footballer down there. This guy is just waltzing around people. He's taking two touches and beating three players. He's putting through balls. Just standing there, virtue of his hands and his hips. Not really exerting himself and just looking incredible. And this is a guy who is at, at best an average professional ball. He's not exceptional. He's not world class. Well, he's he could be. Class. He's a kind of functional Premier League player. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he's a, uh, you know, a I mean, good In player. the Championship, I imagine he would um, shine with me. Yeah. And at this level, he looked uh, incredible. So this is the thing. When, when people say Adi Akinbae is useless, I always say to people, you say Adi Akinbae, if you played football against him, you wouldn't recognise the game. 
He would be so good. It sounds Adi ridiculous. Adiakimbae would score you. Adiakimbae would be so good at football. You'd, you'd just end up crying, wouldn't you? He would, though, wouldn't he? He would just... He'd like... If you tried to tackle him, you'd bounce off him. You wouldn't get close to him. If he were to go round you, he'd go round you. There's no question about it. You wouldn't be able to do anything to stop it. He's so good at football, you can't imagine it. He's not, a, you know, one of the top players in the world. That's this, fine, uh, This it? is probably why you uh, haven't got um, a pop, uh, successful football blog, Steve. Adi Akinbae is so good at football, you yeah. can't even imagine it. Yeah. You people out there, <laughs> and let, this thing, unless you are a professional footballer, you're talking about Adi Akinbae, but he'd be so good at football, you wouldn't be able to... Uh, and as I say, watching Wayne Routledge play, it was it was quite amazing to watch. And it was, uh, yeah, quite incredible. If only because you're sort of thinking, why is he risking his professional career playing against people that could accidentally just trip him over and do his ligaments, and that's it for him. I imagine he probably played at youth level for England, didn't he? Probably at Stacks of Cups. Yeah. Partner bought him very young. So. Yeah. Um, but here's a football celebrity spot, Steve. Um, full international. Saw Robbie Earl once getting his hair cut in Westmoreland Road. Really? Yeah. I was walking along and this guy I went to school was like, Robbie Earl's uh, getting his hair cut over. I was like, well, I'd look in the window. <laughs> he was. And he scored uh, Jamaica's first ever World Cup goal. So... <laughs> Other midfielders from South London, uh, Steve Sidwell from Wandsworth. Yeah, you know, played for a few decent sides, but never troubled England, never been, you know. He was the new Scott Parker for a while, wasn't he? He was, In that, he went to Chelsea, um, didn't play very much, and then got shipped out. But obviously, Scott Parker's career has gone in quite a different direction since. Uh, Nigel Rio Coker. From Croydon. Played in the FA Cup final for West Ham, didn't he, that year? Yeah, yeah. I always liked him in West Ham. But he's not getting this 11, is he? By stretch, Played to Wimbledon as well, didn't he? Started at Wimbledon. Was captain at 19 or something. Ridiculous. And David Brocastle, 14 caps for England, played for Arsenal. Obviously not with us anymore. No, no. You know, England international, cracking player. But I would argue we've got better players in positions ahead of him. Arsenal fans would disagree because he's a bit of a legend there, but... So up front, we've kind of got um, an embarrassment of riches, Steve, haven't we, really? Some of them are quite embarrassing, yeah. <laughs> um, Kevin Campbell. Where was Kev- he from? Kevin Campbell um, from Lambeth. Good player. I always like Kevin Campbell. Yeah, his, his partnership with Ian Wright was deadly yeah, for a while, yeah. wasn't it? I wouldn't put him in, in the lineup. Darren Ben, you know, 13 yeah, goal, goal machine. Yeah. Born in Tooting, but we've got better players ahead of him so he's not in it it'd be you know decent squad player right? good sub Carlton Cole good sub I, you know you're looking at me questioning I like Carlton Cole he's one of these players that if I say he's rubbish Steve you're going to tell me that he's uh... you can't even imagine <laughs> how good Carlton Cole is available. no Carlton Cole you know it's. I think the best way to sum up is he's never fulfilled his potential Ranieri when he took over at Chelsea saw Carlton Cole as one of his like, future he stars. looked brilliant didn't he, when he then he went he... to Aston Villa on loan played all season scored a goal or two the thing about Carlton Cole is he's another one of his players. When he plays well, he scores amazing goals. He looks incredible. And when he doesn't play well, he just looks very big and very slow. And, you when, know. I, when I went to New York, um, I went to watch Tottenham West Ham in an Irish pub at 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And um, this was 2009, I think. And Carlton Cole scored a goal that was like a Drogba goal. Swivel... Like, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's what you know, goal. like when you hit the ball, yeah. and it's like it's like they're playing a different sport. It's yeah. like they're a different species. Fantastic, and he's and I think that season he, he 
he scored a handful of really yeah. good goals. And that's the thing, when he scores those goals, the expectation then is, why is he doing that all the time? And you're like, well, that's you know what makes those goals. That separates, well, that's what separates the really good players of course, yeah. from the uh, players that are occasionally good. Yeah. It? If he did that every week, he wouldn't be playing for West Ham, would he? Let's be fair. Someone that was never going to trouble the eleven, but we should probably mention him anyway, Marlon King. Yeah, Marlon King um, from Dulwich, played yep. for um, Dulwich Hamlet, the, well, the youth team. Um, he got he's played nineteen times for Jamaica and scored twelve goals. Prolific, quite impressive. Other stats as well, there aren't there. Other for figures a, to be taken yeah. into account when you're assessing Marlon King. Yeah, he's got seventeen convictions. Uh, he's on the sex offenders register, Steve. Yeah, he's uh, he's not a nice man, is he? No. And but if I could say one positive thing about Marlon King, I mean, he's got a he's got a handful of good goals. He's got a brilliant goal for Watford in that year when they were in the Premier League, and he missed the whole season for injury basically. But he did score a brilliant goal. But one positive thing I can say is that uh, yeah, he did get sacked for assault that had some kind of sexual. Uh, it wasn't sexual assault, but had some kind of sexual thing about yeah. it. He punched a woman in the face and broke her nose, which is terrible. Yeah, but he was sacked by Wigan and cost Dave Whelan two point seven million pounds. Which is definitely a positive. <laughs> well, I think um, admirable of Dave Whelan to sort of write off nearly three million pounds, and rightly so because mm. you can't ego maniac only Dave Whelan. Oh, absolutely, just yeah. want to make my position clear. The DW Na- statement, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but on the other these, hand, these black players, Steve, they need to just get on with it. Yeah, but on the other hand, you know, saw three million as a small price to pay to get Marlon King completely dissociated from his football club. So admirable on that point because you know you do get these things of you know sports stars being given a bit of a free pass in terms of their behaviour because they're quite good at sports, which seems ridiculous, doesn't it? To sort of think that morally you're given any sort of free pass because you're quite good at games. Up front, wearing the number nine shirt, Ian Wright. Did it or did he wear the number ten? (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't know because he's Arsenal, isn't it? <laughs> no, but it's he's better if you don't know. He's such he's um he's such a huge figure, isn't he, Ian Wright? Yeah, and his career is it's a, a, it's astonishing, really. extraordinary, extraordinary figures considering. Yeah, he started off at Greenwich Borough, right? Um, he had a job as like in a factory or something, didn't he? I thought he was like um painter and decorator. Yeah, was he? Yeah, turning up to games with like paint under his fingernails, yeah, presumably. Yeah. Um, and ended up at Crystal Palace in between playing half a pre-season match for Dulwich Hamlet. So, alumni. <laughs> yeah. Put Get his in. name on the back of your shirt. Put him in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> but yeah, he signed for Arsenal, who, uh, you know, people won't want to hear me saying this, Steve, but they're one of the the top three or four most successful clubs in English football history. I'm not a fan, but I mean, you clearly have soccer. <laughs> <laughs> the Woolwich Arsenal. <laughs> South London, so... He signed for them two months before he turned 28 and went on to break their goal-scoring record. Incredible, isn't it? That is incredible, isn't it? Uh, beat Cliff Baston's record and has since been eclipsed by Thierry Henry. Yeah. Um, you know, such a such a huge figure there that when they built the three statues, it was Ian Wright's name that came up as the kind of bigger mission when yeah. there were plenty of other kind of top players. No one mentioned Charlie George or... Um, Patrick Vieira, you know, other yeah. brilliant football. Robin Van Persie, one-man team, didn't they? <laughs> Leave it. Come on. Yeah, in the PFA team of the year twice, won the Golden Boot. 
and so so defined by his time at Arsenal because he held the record and whatnot. You know, obviously played for Palace for a long time, but I didn't realise actually has more league appearances for Palace than he does for Arsenal. Um, 225 league appearances for Crystal Palace, uh, 221 for Arsenal. Played more games for Arsenal overall because of, you'd imagine, the European Cups and going further in domestic Cups. But still, uh, you know, a legendary figure at Crystal Palace as well. 1990 FA Cup final? I uh, was at school at uh, St. Joseph's College, Beulah Hill, which is about 10 minutes from Sellers Park. Beulah. <laughs> um, never made that joke. Been there for ages. Never made that joke. Never even occurred to us. Um, and it was huge at the time. The school really... Because obviously you had a few Palace fans going there. Um, but it was, yeah, huge. The, the school was like decorated in Palace colours. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was really, uh, really exciting. And the game? Yeah, tremendous. Ian Wright came on with Man United 2-1 up and scored two goals for Palace. Well, obviously, it went on to uh, finish 3 all. Man United won the replay. But, you know... Cemented his place in Palace folklore, didn't it? That was the thing. Also in that game, Andy Gray was playing for Palace, who uh, used to play for Dallas Hamlet, and Alan Pardew used to play for Dallas Hamlet. So basically, I, it was a team that Dallas Hamlet built. Yeah, Alan Pardew <laughs> played for Dallas in the 80s. Um, at the beginning of his career and then he was he was back at Dulwich for a few months in around 2000 just before he, he got his management career started and that was around the time I was still going and he was playing at centre back at that point and very well you know obviously since has gone on to forge quite a interesting managerial career you, you always hear these things behind the scenes that he's a bit of a kind of uh, Mourinho wannabe but on the pitch he's done it right he you always imagine putting up like inspirational posters. Well, that's what they said he does, yeah, didn't they? Yeah. In the Football Weekly, they uh, said that he's known for putting up uh, these posters. And he'll and... he'll read, you know, books from the self help section of a bookshop, and not ironically, until sort of <laughs> that point of things, and go, "Can you believe people are saying this?" He'll sort of think, look at, it and go, "That's a life lesson. That's something you can carry with you, and it'll help you." But the, to be fair, um, remarkable season at Newcastle at the moment. So you know, going well for him. Well, dropped yeah. off a little recently. They've done well, but, they've done yeah. well but they're going to finish about seventh, which yeah. is. But with probably, West Ham, I mean, probably. the first season they're yeah. up, they're finishing in the top ten, didn't they? Yeah, oh, is it tenth? Yeah, and um, yeah, took to the uh, to injury time of uh, winning an FA Cup. Yeah, against Liverpool again. One more uh, Ian Wright fact, which I it never occurred to me before, and it might be uh, common knowledge. Huge Millwall fan. Did you know this? Yeah, I knew that. Actually. Yeah, found a photograph of him, and again, we can put this up on the website as part of the links it's one of those things where I say it and then we have to find it but it's easily found photograph him in a Millwall top it's only taken like two years ago well when he went to West Ham most of the people I grew up with were Millwall fans and when we and Mark went to West Ham they weren't happy why? it's fine (laughs) (laughs) the other forward player Steve is a player that actually played outside right but seeing as that formation has been defunct for a number of decades we're putting him up front I'd be more than happy to rearrange the team <laughs> to get him in it into, into a WM. The thing is, according to one stat I read quoted, he scored four hundred goals. So you'd imagine up front, he's not getting lost, is he? He's not going to go. I don't know what to do this far. He knows what he's doing. He'd just score loads of goals, wouldn't he? Obviously, we're talking about Dulwich Hamlet's Edgar Kale. Legendary. Let's put it on record now: the greatest player from South London ever. He didn't even play professional football, Steve. Yeah, brilliant, isn't it? He's, <laughs> I mean, 
the greatest amateur player from the South London ever. Easily. But also, at the same time, <laughs> no, um, one club, only one other player in the eleven that can claim that. Rhino. Rhino, Keith Stevens and Millwall. Yeah, one club, 400 goals. The last non-league player to play for England. And let's be fair, that's not getting beaten, is it? No, it's not going to happen again, no. is it? The idea of Capello, even like, you know, Ericsson got a lot of stick for bringing Theo Walcott to World Cup, and rightly so, it was a bizarre decision. But for an England manager now to pick he, a non exactly. He didn't take Nyron Clunas to the World Cup, did he? <laughs> Dulwich Hamlet Stadium, Champion Hill, is on a, a new road, and they were going to call it Sport Street. Or something like that. Some atrocious <laughs> name. The council would come up with. Isn't that a show on CBeebies? <laughs> um, and they got the Dulwich fans um, got the name changed to Edgar Carroll Way. So that's now the address of the club, Dulwich Hamlet Football Club, Edgar Carroll Way. There was a vote uh, for the blue plaque, uh, short from a shortlist, and Edgar Carroll, I believe, beat George Orwell <laughs> and William Blake. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not, I wouldn't want to uh, get my dad in trouble, but there were certainly pre-written voting forms that he was handing out to, to youngsters at uh, the youth club he runs. That's fine, isn't it? That's that's community engagement. Yeah, good point. It's fine, isn't it? If if uh, these you know Blake and Orwell fans want to get involved, get involved. Don't just stand idly by and complain afterwards about the result. Yeah, the youth of uh, Campbell, they weren't playing for William Blake, were they? Nah. Saw some angels, whatever. Edgar Cale scored 400 goals. <laughs> we had a framed Edgar Cale photo on our front room wall when I was a kid. And my dad used to wear a t-shirt, like, whenever it was clean. Edgar Cale t-shirt. <laughs> so it'd be fair to say you're familiar with... Yeah, apparently he was one of the players as well, one of the schoolboys who put his hand in his pocket to um, to take some kind of stake in the club as well when he was a kid. Everyone had to put in a few pence or something and he would... He did. And also I was reading in uh, one of my dad's uh, pieces, um, him as, he rounded up some other youngsters when he was about 15, 16, um, and they mowed the grass and scrubbed the uh, dressing rooms and uh, put the lines out at Champion Hill. So he was like a real devotee. Yeah. Played three times for England, you know, full, the full England team, not uh, any kind of amateur thing. Scored two goals on his debut against France. And played two more games and then never played again. The three games also took place over six days. Yeah, tour, tour, I suppose. Of, yeah. yeah, it was. But England career of less than a week, which is amazing there for three caps. Eddie Kell's three caps over six days for England. Scott Parker, four, first four caps for England, while played for four different clubs. So it just shows how dense Kell's career was. Scott Parker, hopefully... Going to captain England at the 2012 Euros, eh? Fingers crossed. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? That'd be, that'd be right. That's an England team I can support. So who are we going to put in charge, Steve? Not Alan Pardew. Not Alan Pardew. I, you know, suggested Laurie Sanchez as player manager. <laughs> Saves on the wages, doesn't it? Frivolous suggestion, I'd say. <laughs> For a long time, the name we had was Roy Hodgson. A big name internationally. Specifically, Scandinavia, Steve. He won a couple of uh, a handful of league titles there. Yeah, took Switzerland to the World Cup as well. Uh, he's from Croydon. Played for Dulwich A, which is some kind of uh, reserve team. Played there with Bob Houghton 
who went on to manage Malmo to the 1979 European Cup final. Did you know that? I didn't know that. It's incredible. Yeah, my dad wrote um, a thing called the Croydon Globetrotters about the pair of them. <laughs> Put a link to that as well. And yeah, yeah. Well, Hutchins, uh, of course, uh, managed Inter in Italy as well, which one of the biggest names you can get in football managers. Got to a UEFA Cup final. Yeah. Something I discovered in my research for this is unverifiable, and it's on Wikipedia, so probably not true. But according to Wikipedia, alongside Roy Castle, Roy Hodgson suggested putting fluorescent jackets on guide dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying that should get him the job, but if it's true, let's mark out. But the fact that it's unverifiable means it's probably saying... What is it, like a of... post-match rant? No, right, it's, killer, it's, it's, that ref, he's blind. They should put a fluorescent jacket on his guide dog. <laughs> That's actually a great idea, Roy. Roy Hodgson does a lot of work for guide dogs for blind, apparently. And and this is the thing, it's unverifiable. It's, apparently that bit is definitely true. But how much credit we can give to the idea of him suggesting how they should dress their guide dogs, I don't know. But if it is true, let's give the guy credit. And I can't think of a better time. I can't think of another time on an episode where we're going to be discussing Roy Hodgson or guide dogs that I can get that in. Mm. So let's do it now. Well done, Roy Hodgson. Yeah. The man we've gone for, Steve, I'd never heard of him. And I imagine a lot of people won't have, but his achievements are uh, pretty special. Yeah. Um, Vic Buckingham he's from Greenwich he played for Tottenham over 200 times so really I probably should have heard of him I've read Inverting the Pyramid by Jonathan Wilson as have you he must have got mentioned that. neither of us can specifically well, I didn't remember fi- I didn't finish it Steve to be fair okay, I have finished it I don't remember him he must have got mentioned because his career is remarkable yeah he won the FA Cup at uh, West Brom um, that's that's not that's it. Not rem- it's, that's good. That's not terrible. But yeah, then he went to Ajax and uh, won the league, and also gave Johan Cruyff his debut. Yeah, a South Londoner gave Johan Cruyff his his uh, professional debut. And that's the thing: going to Ajax and winning the league is more of a requirement of job rather than being exceptional. But being the guy who brings Johan Cruyff into the team, and then. He moves to Barcelona. He goes to Barcelona, wins the uh, cup in Barcelona. Which, if anything, a Barcelona is a failure. Not winning. Well, I don't know, man. You have to look at the different factors, don't you? Well, also, you're looking at a time when Spain... uh, Hard to phrase this without sounding... Are you going to use the word fascist? Yeah. Spain was essentially, you know, controlled from Madrid at the time. And there's a lot of... There's still a lot of talk in, in Spain about you know, how the league was essentially set up for Real Madrid to win. Well, Barcelona, they did all right not long after that. Apparently, he paved the way for uh, Cruyff to move to Barcelona. I don't know yeah. what that means exactly, but he obviously... Um... I don't think it's, it's got to be more than a coincidence that the guy who gives Cruyff his debut then goes to Barcelona and Cruyff goes to Barcelona. It's going to help. It's not going to hurt the fact that, you know, the manager that's there or someone associated with the club can be there as a bridge between the two things. Should we gloss over the uh, 1964 bribery scandal? I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, anyone who gives Cruyff his debut, you know, that's that's the qualification. We're, if we if we give him the job, we make it very clear we don't want him bribing anyone or taking any bribes. We just want him yeah. bringing on loads of Johan Cruyffs. Yeah, if you can find some Johan Cruyffs and yeah. not bribe anyone. More of the Cruyffs, less of the bribes. That will be, you know, our criteria. So to summarise, Steve, Peter Bennett in goal, Kenny Sansom at left back, Glenn Johnson at right back, Rio Ferdinand and Keith Rhino Stevens in the middle, Trevor Sinclair on the left, Sean Wright Phillips on the right, Laurie Sanchez and Scott Parker in the middle, and Ian Wright up front with Edgar Kale. 
and in charge, Vic Buckingham. He's probably got a Cruyff on a bench for us. Yeah, he'd probably he's... look us up. Cruyff is honorary chairman. <laughs> That's a decent team, I think. It is. Also got a nice West Ham bias to it. Five players in our 11 have played for West Ham at some point in their careers. Don't hold that against us, obviously. <laughs> Presumably this team will play against North West and East London 11s. We're looking for your suggestions for 11s from North London, West London and East London. We've done South London. Feel free to suggest Yeah, I'm sure there are emissions, so please uh, let us know. The place to do so is really on southlondonhardcore.com. If you can comment on episode 5 in the comment section. Even if you're not even putting whole teams together, but just players from North West and East London, they they should be born there. And we'll throw together an 11 for next week. And then we'll role-play all the various games. <laughs> South London, Round probably Robin. scraping through against most of the other teams. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Let's not jump the gun, no, Steve. We'll should, see what these other, these other parts of London have got to offer. Obviously, South London is bigger, isn't it? But we'll see. Yeah. You can also tweet at us, at SLHC Podcast. I don't want to sound pessimistic, but with the platform that I have, Steve, I'm quite aware that this could well be our most popular episode and a bit of an anomaly. We're dragging in a few people for the first time here, I think, aren't we? Yeah, and I don't want people to just listen to it because it's about football. There's more football next week, though. Just to be be clear, if you only want football, do come back next week. (laughs) But while I've got your ears, if you have got an iTunes account, do give us a little five-star rating. Leave a comment. (laughs) A little five-star rating is fine. How many stars do you think it merits? Maybe leave a comment, you know. Positive or negative. It all helps. Mostly positive, isn't it? There's a Facebook link on our website as well, so like us on there. We don't want this to be the only time you listen to South London Hardcore just because it's about football, Steve. No, that would be a mistake. It'd be, you know, you'd be letting yourself down. This is a nice sample of what we're about, but it's so much broader and there's so much more for us to talk about. There's a little bit more about football next week, so tune in for that if you're only interested in football. But if you want to subscribe on iTunes, or if you want to go back and get the other episodes, I'm not going to stop you. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll see you next time.